G'day, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It is the coach here, and we are talking Blades of Corn with the icebreaker himself, the man who who is all about the bloodletting. It is Tyler McDonald. How are you? Good, sir. All the way out of Queensland, rubbing in the maroons to us. Um, although New South Wales has finally gotten a win. But g'day. How are you, sir? Not bad yourself. Good, man. Good. It's seven o'clock. Seven o'clock in the morning, we've restarted because we had that failed attempt, but uh, you are an absolute master when it comes to playing Blades of Corn. I couldn't think of, well, I could have thought of someone on I equal status. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I thought I'd give the internet a rest from um, from from Matt, but uh, you are a very, very, very talented corn player. I thought uh, we could get a, a, a bit of a different opinion talking about Blades of Corn and understanding how we can play them in the current meta. Lovely. Been, yeah, uh, I've been super excited to do this. So, yeah, let's do it. No, man, I'm, that's good. So, I guess, you know, like, you know, for people who don't know who, who you are, um, who, who is who is Tyler? Uh, Tyler. I don't know. Tyler, in a nutshell, pretty much Tyler's the crankiest man in AOS, to tell you the truth. But other than that, I love playing corn. I love my ice break, and I just love to roll dice. Yeah, we just just found out this man drinks uh, more milk than is in that's in currently in my fridge right now on a daily basis. Um, but what what drew you to corn? What drew you to playing Blades of Corn and um, and all that good stuff? Well, honestly, I picked up a secondhand army cheap, but going from there, I just love their kill everything playstyle. Like playing corn, I don't look at you know you don't consider objectives to turn two or three. Before that, you're just trying to feel like there's much damage as possible on your opponent, you know, just to keep coming home. Like, we haven't got good saves. We die pretty easily. So it's basically about getting shit in front of them so they can't hurt what you want to hurt and then just try to wipe board as hard as possible. It's literally what it says on the book. You just do the do. You just run forward. You just kill your enemy. Um, it's all about you, the blood and the skulls. You let, you let the blood flow, win, lose, or draw. Corn is always happy because blood for the blood god, skulls for the throne of corn. Exactly. And as I said, we hit hard, but we die even harder. So, yeah, everyone's happy in the end. No, that's awesome. But what would drew you to Warhammer in general? Like, was was it Age of Sigma? Was it this particular first um, secondhand army? Or what drew you to the actual game itself? The models, really. Like, I was painting for a while 40K. You know, I'm at the age now where all my mates started having kids. I lost my golf partners. I'm like, what am I going to do? So started painting models, model tanks, you know, so I am um, IG from 40K. Found there was a game to go involved with these awesome tanks I've just played and getting involved. Wasn't a big fan of the 40K sort of scene. It's a little bit salty at times and, you know, just the rule changes consistently. It's hard to keep up. And then the Brizhammer boys down at my local um, – doing the Brisbane tournament and just started getting it from there and loved it ever since. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's good to have you in the Brisbane boys are gentlemen and scholars nonetheless. Uh, we just had Matt Cammy on the show literally 24 hours ago and had a whole bunch of the Queensland crew on there. So um, yeah, much, no love to, much love to all the Queenslanders. And if you're not, uh, if you listen to this on podcast, uh, Tyler is decked out in his national team or state team or you guys are basically a nation now upon you come on yourselves. we are our own nation basically i don't class myself as an aussie i'm a queenslander basically if it was up to wes he'd close the borders and you know you guys yeah, would have, it'd be more. queensland and then the rest of australia but um <laughs> i've always been fascinated by corn corn's just a, a wonderful army it's just something that 
Um, I don't know. There's just something about like this, this demonic, bestial. Um, it does what it says in the books. You know, there's very little tricks that it, it relies on. Um, but the mastery of of playing the game with corn is is something different because it's not. You can't just run forward and just kill things. It's not, that's not how it works. Um, I think the and I remember corn. It's letting. It's letting them putting the. It's positioning with corn more than anything. You know, it's trying to kill. But it's getting it in the right position to kill it at the right time, really. Yeah, it's not like eye draws where you run in. It's like a big sledgehammer. Like, funnily enough, no. because because you don't have the best armor saves in the world, it's actually more like applying a scalpel and actually finding the right spots to apply pressure, um, which is probably a misconception. You think you just, like, run corn up and then hope for the best? It's not the case. No, not at all. And that's where I think a lot of people have a lot of problems, just running up massive blocks of stuff. Screenings, I think, is the major thing with corn. That's why we got 70-point blood read. Just to, again, letting them hit what you want them to hit until you yeah. can get a bloodthirster or some skull reapers into it. So overall, like, what are the strengths of the battle tome? So when you picked up this, the second edition, well, it's actually kind of like the third edition. You've had, like, three books if you include, include the Bloodbound book. Um, like, what's the yep. strengths of corn? when you get to play with them and when you get to list builds? The allegiance abilities, like our tribes or whatever you want to call them, like that is the number one thing that jumps out of the book that just shows our strengths. Things like the Reaper's Vengeance, where you can get Bloodthirsters going twice, even Gortide, where you can get your Blood Warriors and um, Reavers running and charging with a six-inch run. You know, just as a built-in mechanic for your whole army that you can just pick and add to your army, I think... That's the number one strength of this book. It's the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, other than that, the blood ties. Yeah. Like they're I, I the love... two biggest. Sorry? No, please, please continue. I was just saying they're our two biggest difference in everything else, but it's our strength sort of thing where no one else has sort of got what we got there. Like, no, you haven't got too many other factions where every one of their big monsters can just, make themselves go twice, you know, and it's the same thing as like the Gortide, just running and charging auto six. You can get those guys in your face turn one. Yeah, and I think the cool thing as well with Blood Tie is, you know, probably unlike any other army is that you get rewarded for your opponent's behaviour. So if you die, you get Blood Tie. If your opponent dies, they get Blood Tie. Unlike something like Slanish where, you, you know, you're generating those depravity points from your heroes when they're killing things uh, or they're doing wounds um, or, you know, oh, actually Zench kind of gets stuff with magic casting, but it's great, you know, regardless if you're losing or they're losing, you're being rewarded through blood tie. Yeah, exactly. It's actually good as a corn player when you're losing your own units and it doesn't hurt because you're counting those blood ties, you know, when those, you just lost two or three units in a phase, but knowing now you've got a free move in their hero phase. And I think that's the biggest thing too. The fact that you can activate blood ties abilities in your opponent's hero phase or at the start yeah. of your opponent's hero phase, it's a game changer. Like being able to attack before they do anything in their turn is just brutal. Or having your, you know, like a bloodthirster sitting there out in the open and all of a sudden you can move it behind your lines before they get to do anything. You know, just little things like that for three and four blood ties. Shutting down magic for two blood ties, just that's it. You know, those things are just game changing. Yeah, there's been plenty of times where uh, an opponent, a blood, uh, a, a opponent uses blood tie to interrupt 
one of my plans. Like, right, cool. I'm preparing for my turn. I've got this idea in mind. I want to try to do X, Y, and Z. And then started that, like, boom, there's a bloodthirster in front of you. I'm like, oh. Or I've been trying to think exactly. about that spell. And, like, I've baited this. Like, I'm ready for that spell. They're like, no, it's not happening. You're like, ah, oh, man. Um, so it's, it's cool that you're able to. Spells and stuff. No, it's just, it's just cool that you can respond to your opponent um, if you bank up those blood tie early and you're smart. And I think that's one of the things I'd love to hear from you, Tyler, as well, is some of the ideas around blood types. I think I think that can be quite confusing. Do you save them all for the big thing? Do you kind of spend all the all of them early to kind of get some activity? Like, what's that, what's that strategy? Is like, I might I might bring over the blood tie as well for anyone who's not familiar with the blood tie. Um, so you get a whole bunch of cool things, right? So, you know, at the, you know, at the start of, so basically the rules are for anyone who doesn't know what blood tie are. Um, so what's going to happen is you, you receive one blood tie point each time a unit is destroyed. So that's you or your opponent. So, um, it does reward you if you're running small blocks of, you know, five man or 10 man units and they die. Um, at the same time, it's going to reward you for killing your opponent or your opponent dying in general. At the start of the hero phase, you can use one or more blood tie uh, uh, to receive a blood a one reward from the blood tie rewards each below. Um, immediately carry out the effects, blah, 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 blah. So basically, um, there's a whole bunch of things here. You can receive a command point. Um, you can immediately, so you can choose this reward immediately after a wizard casts a spell. Um, you know, basically that spell is not successful. Like there's just a whole bunch of good stuff here when you look at the, the blood tie. I mean, I could read it. I could read all of it if you want, but it's not story time with the coach. I thought I might, <laughs> say, I might, might save you from all of the different particular parts. But are there any particular? Go on. Well, I think the biggest thing with blood tie is is that's tied in with our summoning as well. So it does make it quite hard sometimes to decide when to use it, to use it too early, or and I've done it many times, using it too late, holding on for eight blood ties to get a bloodthirster, ignoring. You know, your table, which makes your army strong, and then just getting rolled, you know what I mean? Because you haven't shut down a spell and someone's teleported onto an objective and there you go because you've got seven blood tithes just hanging on for a bloodthirster, which at the end of the day costs you the game. But it is quite hard. Like I think two blood ties gets you five blood letters, you know, which is awesome for screening. When you're just running up the board and just dumping, you can almost do that almost every turn like i used to run blood sacrifice of one of my priests which on the four up re-rollable near the shrine i got a blood tithe point each turn for free mm. so just generating one for each turn just harvesting them you know you could get screens out on the board i think it's um flesh hounds five flesh hounds for three i think it is uh, yeah like uh, yeah yeah five flesh yeah for three like that's unbelievable value you know what i mean by turn two you can have five of them down and i think that's the hard part with those abilities. Like you almost need a plan in place for those abilities, trying to get them, knowing when you're going to get them. Like I said, like three blood tithe, being able to move in your opponent's face. That's awesome for smashing into a unit with Bloodthirster, hanging him out there. If they pick up the next turn, if you don't double turn them, you can then move that back behind your lines and you know you've got another turn or so with him. You're not just sacrificing and kamikaze him out there. But... If you don't have that plan, or well, then at the end of that phase, you've only got two, you've just sacrificed him sort of thing. So I think using the abilities, you really need a plan in place and have just have an idea of where you're going to be with them, know what you're going to generate, 
and yeah, just try and use them for that. But summoning alone on them, it is a very easy mechanic for summoning, but you can waste. If you've got seven blood tithe and you use an ability for three blood tithe, you're back to zero. And that's the interesting part as well, right? Because if you summon with your blood ties, you bring on, and, you know, they're quite generous, right? You can bring on five blood letters for two points. You can bring on ten blood letters for four points. Bring on the five flesh hounds for, for three points. You know, a skull cannon or a, a three blood crushes for three or five points. Um, you know, you've got a bloodthirster of the, the various different builds at eight points, um, which is really neat. But then the minute you summon something on the table, your points resets back to zero. So I think what you just said was critical, right? You've got to have a plan. If you're building up and you're like, cool, I've got six points, but I'm going to summon five or 10 blood letters. Those additional points are now gone and you're back to zero. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's the biggest thing. Like it's just know what you're going to do. Go as in, in as a heavy summoning army if you're going to a few blood ties. Not worry so much about your abilities. If they're there to use, use them if you need them at the time. But just go in using blood type to summon as many units on the board because that is our problem. We don't have, you know, most of our demon units or all of them are five-up saves except for the big guys. You know, even our mortals, most of them are four-up saves, you know, at best or six-up for reavers. So our screens are dying quick. So that's, you know, just summoning small units on consistently you can just add five more units to your army. It doesn't matter what they are. They're five more speed bumps. Or go on for the other thing. And that's how I was doing quite well at the beginning of the year with the four Bloodthirsters. I didn't have a lot of buff units. Like, I didn't run a Secrator. I didn't run a few, you know, things. One Priest was all I was running. And he had killing um, Blood Sacrifice, not Killing Frenzy and that. So these buff units weren't there to buff my Bloodthirsters. I was using the Blood Tithe table to do that allowing, trying to get four blood ties so I can go in with my bloodthirsters, attack twice in my sequence, and know I'm going to get a third attack before they get to do anything. And just using, yeah, add blood ties to basically buff your army. And that was the plan I was sort of running at. What's really cool as well is what we've kind of had is, is got, um, not only do you guys get the rules from the Blades of Corn book, but we've also had a bit of a boost when it comes to the Wrath of the Everchosen as well. So, um, so now even more, and I think, you know, as a man of bloodthirster taste, um, you must be very excited by being able to have even more bloodthirsters uh, in the bloodthirster build. Well, the Everchosen one, I think it's it's cool. I think it would be maybe not the funnest to play against your mates, but I don't think it is as competitive as the Blades of Corn, say the Reapers, um, yeah, the Reapers Vengeance Battalion where you can only run four Bloodthirsters, but every one of those Thirsters can attack twice. So the run and charge is awesome, getting up and across the board. But, again, competitive-wise, not having screens that will be there, it'll be a very short, brutal game. But, um, yeah, as just a bit of fun goes, I think getting five Bloodthirsters on the board, you know, throwing that against five Stonehorns or something like that, you know, that will be awesome. Five Terrorgeists, you know, that's just something I think would be great fun to play for your mates. But come competitive-wise, I just think there's far better options out there. Yeah, it'll be challenging to um, challenging to obtain and hold objectives with, you know, most of your points in, in a single model. Um, and you don't get the Beast Claw Raider kind of benefits of having, you know, one one model equals 10 to 20 
So um, exactly, or the five up after save, or you know, the, just those little things like five thirsters running around the board. I said, looks awesome running across the board, but after turn one, you're going to be you got anyone that's on a counter charge you. You're only going to have one or two left by the end of that phase. So that ch- turn sort of thing, you can sort of, you know, in a competitive scene. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about here, by the way, team, um, so there was a supplement that was released in February, January, called Wrath of the Everchosen. Uh, it is the second coming of Archeon. Uh, it has a whole bunch of cool rules for um, various builds, not just corn, but it has some stuff for Nurgle. It has some stuff for, um, you know, the various builds in uh, Slaves to Darkness as well. And there are two. So basically what it does is it's extended your allegiance abilities. So you've got here the Reapers of Vengeance. You've got the, the Blood Lords. You've got the Gortide. And then you've got the, the Skull, trying to, the Skull Fiend Tribe trying to read it in the squinty screen. Um, so you've got those four that you can choose from, these sub-allegiances that you can kind of customise and build your force out even greater. Um, but then on top of that, you've now got an extra two ones. You've got the Flayed, um, which is going to give you some benefits, and then you've got the Bail, the Baleford Lords, which, again, give you a different set of rules. So no matter how you want to build your, your corn force, you've got some options to really maximise them on the table. I think the flay, there's a little bit of legs in that as a heavy mortals list. They had a few, just a, I had a look over them. Again, I'm, I don't play heavy mortals a lot with corn, but just the buffs for the um, priests and stuff like that, I think there might be something yeah, to get com- in there. Yeah, so the command trade is you can reroll prayer rolls of one for friendly flayed priests holding within eight of the general. Um, you get plus two, the artifact gives you plus two to, to, your, char- uh, to your charge rolls. Um, and then there's some other stuff that you kind of get, so like the abilities. So at the end of the combat phase, if the enemy hero or monster is slain by attacks made by friendly flayed mortals, uh, in that phase you can add one to the save roll. So again, there's some whole bunch of stuff there. So that's obviously going down towards, as you mentioned, a mortal build, uh, you know, probably benefiting you with things like Slaughter Priests and Blood Secretors. So if you're kind of going down that route, um, you've well, now I was got thinking- more options. Yeah, I was thinking more of that one too. Like the reroll for the priest, we get that built in with our shrine, but that just lives gives it a little bit more mobility. You know, maybe forest brass stampede or something like that. That's where I could look at maybe using that. And then you know, you look at things like the baleful lords. You know, one of the things you get is a command trait, so you get one to the charge roll for friendly baleful lord bloodthirsters uh, within eight of the general. So this is kind of where it's stacking and. You know, really maximizing that charge roll for that three, four, five, six. Um, and they one. can run and charge too, I believe, as well. Uh, yeah. Is that a. I think that's just the tribe ability. Uh, you get the. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Sorry, I was looking at the second paragraph. Yeah, friendly baleful lord bloodthirsters can run and charge. Um, yeah. And yeah, you can add one uh, additional bloodthirster. Um, and you can pick one friendly baleful lord bloodthirster and then basically uh it's treated as if it hasn't suffered any wounds so you're kind of hitting with max damage yeah like it's pretty cool you could run five thirsters across the board with a run of six you're getting plus one on that and then like the incense at rage bloodthirsters built in command abilities three roll charges so you could get quite a few bloodthirsters into your opponent pretty quickly but i couldn't see it being more than a two or three round game yeah, you'll win or lose. Um, yeah, exactly. 
if you weren't going to summon, so I guess first off what you talked about here is, you know, have a plan for summoning, have some things that you kind of want to get to the table early, whether it's, you know, you want to get some unbinds from the flesh hounds, if you want to get more blood, blood letters for screens, if you want to be able to think about, uh, there's a whole bunch of, you know, have, have a strategy. Right? I, think, I think what you've said, long story short, the blood thirster is an interesting challenge. It's eight points. It's going to take you a while to get there. By that stage, if you've been solely focused on getting that bloodthirster, you may have found real opportunities missed because you weren't thinking about the unbind, you weren't thinking about screens, you weren't thinking about, you know, a claiming objective because you've been solely focused on getting a bloodthirster. Exactly, exactly. Oh, it's actually cost me at uh, Ipswich GT against Mick from the failed charge. Exactly that happened. And I had seven blood tithe. I wanted to get another bloodthirster just to roll over him. He pulled off hand of mork a hand of gork or whatever it is yeah. just sitting there with like a little grin on his face waiting for me just to blow my blood ties and shut down the spell i had the blinkers on and yeah teleported over and won the game yeah just, and, and you know on the flip side you know you could have brought down some you know five ten blood letters and you could have done that as well because that's where i found most people have done that to me is bringing on those little five or ten man blocks not just to screen but also to kind of claim objectives or to protect objectives and while the rest of the force moves forward. Um. Exactly, exactly. And then, as I said, like doing that, especially at a time like that, you learn that lesson. And I don't think, I don't think I've summoned many bloodthirsters, to tell you the truth. When I was at Sydney, it was 2.5K. I think I summoned one bloodthirster over the five games. You know, you just, you're trying to waste those blood tides as much as possible. Yeah, you, know, you want to use them. You want to use corn. Corn wants to hit when it's strong. You don't want to be waiting until late game when half your army's gone and things just aren't effective anymore. Yeah, I, I play, I've had the pleasure of playing Matt Campbell, um, you know, winner of CanCon last year, um, and he won it with corn. And I played him a number of times, and very rarely does he always bring on Bloodthirst, or at least against me. It's more about um, it's more about those flesh hounds. It's more about those uh, blood the blood letters, um, and bringing on those small small pieces during the game to kind of keep putting pressure on or kind of um, trying to claim the, the objectives. Exactly, exactly. As I said, like, corn's all about only allowing your opponent to do what they can do, you know what I mean? And then you dominating the board. And with all those small units coming on consistently, they're going to die, but that's a turn for you to kill five blood letters. You know, it's cost two points, but... That shut down a whole unit for two, for a whole turn, and that's why you got to look at the corners, just shutting things down with just throwing and blood ties basically, till you can do what you can do with your your weapons. Yeah, it's it's really the the applied pressure. It's I I see corn like really like a um like a, a test of strength, and you know you just keep pushing pressure, pushing pressure, and eventually the opponent collapses uh, if you're able to apply the appropriate weight. Um, exactly. Of the before we kind of move on to your particular list, um, we've talked a lot about the summoned units. You know, talked about some of the things you might want to consider. Again, have a plan. Don't always focus on the bloodthirster. Think about some things like you know, there's obviously you know, there's there's different things for different reasons. So we won't kind of go into the to the models, but. Is there any particular abilities here that kind of draw your attention or when you're looking at an opponent, you're thinking about more than others? Again, every opponent's going to be different, every army's going to be different, but are there ones that you use more than others? The two biggest ones, I think, are for three and four blood tithes. 
three. I don't know what it's called. I can't see that properly. But... Murder Lust. So pick one yep. friend corn unit. That unit can make a normal move. If it's within 12 of an enemy model, you can make a normal move uh, or attempt to charge. That there is just unbelievable. One, just moving units up. Like Again, I use a lot of Bloodthirsters, so moving them up, being able to then move them out of the way before the opponent's turn, being able to get a double move in your turn so you can just strike at something at the back of the board or somewhere where your opponent just didn't even expect you to be able to get. Mm. Um, the charge one, having something within four or five inches of your opponent and charging them at the beginning of their turn. You know, that ties that unit up. They can't go anywhere. They can't kill it till their turn's over, and that can just shut people down for a whole turn, you know? Like, if you do that to a front screen, you can shut everything down, and people are put on the spot because it's their turn, this has just happened, and they don't know how to, you know, they've got to work it out there and then. That one there, I think, for three points is just unbelievable, and same as the one below it for four points, where you get to actually fight at the start of the, uh, start of the hero phase. And that's in the, your opponent's or your hero phase. And that's really a really good call as well, is that people would probably read that and, and think, oh, right, cool, in my hero phase, I'll be able to move or charge. No, this is my hero phase or your opponent's hero phase. So all of a sudden, if you get double turned or if you're um, if you're about to prepare for it, you know, you, you, you get given second and your opponent's going first and they're going for an objective, cool, I could tie them up to stop them and deny, deny them from going for an objective or going for something juicy by throwing that that, that screen of five blood letters or that, you know, that, that multiple small unit, you know, whatever you've picked, you know, blood levers, blood, you know, blood letters, throw them in sacrificially, one, get a, uh, a blood tie point if they die, but two, deny them from getting to the objective or forcing a retreat. Exactly, exactly. And it's just, it doesn't sound like much. Until you actually think about it, and it is, it's a game changer. I've seen Matt Campbell do that to Luke McFadden at Runax, and it was just funny to watch. You know, five flesh hounds charged in and tied up all these eels because they're all within three inches, and now they couldn't charge and actually do any damage for a whole turn. Yeah, it, it's you know, I, I think that's brilliant as well. And then you kind of there's so many other things you can you can tap into, but those two for me, I think you're right because they're quite easy to generate three or four blood tie. Um, and, yes, you know, the, the temptation is there, again, to kind of hold them on for a big summon. But those two alone are game-changing. Um, oh, exactly. Yeah. And everything else, like the one for seven, Crimson Rain, I think it is. Yeah, so and you that... choose a reward once per battle. Immediately after you do so at the start of each of your subsequent hero phases, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to each friendly corn unit on the battlefield. Like, that's really good. But it's seven blood ties. Mm. It's just too expensive. By the time you've got to that, I don't think I've ever used it. Like I ran four bloodthirsters all year and I still never bothered using it because at the end of the day you get one more blood tie then you can bring in a bloodthirster. So if one of those bloodthirsters die then, you get a whole more blood, a whole new bloodthirster. Yeah. If that was maybe five, it'd be a lot more usable. But other than that, those other two, if you're going to use abilities, that's the way to go. Otherwise, you just summon. Yeah, I, I think even, yeah. What's clear Sorry. is, you know, have, have, a, have a real plan and think about the value and think about how, because, you know, each blood tie is, is based off a unit dying. So how, how hard is it going to be to get those additional one, two, three units to die? Um, 
or is it again easier to go for those three or four? I think that's the that, that's what I'm hearing from you. Exactly, and one as well. That one blood tithe for a command point. That's really good early game, especially if you're running on your priest blood sacrifice. Your turn is blood sacrifice. You get the one blood tithe, and then at the beginning of your opponent's turn, you get a command point. You know that's a nice little cheeky one. Even like you know that that there is good when. You've got you've just used your blood tithe for your next go. If you just want to stock up on command points, that's that's quite usable too. But again, that's just early game, good for farming. But you know, again, once you've got two or three or four, there's a lot better things to do. You know, you got two blood tithe, drop down five blood letters. You know, that's sometimes far more visible than um having another command point, especially when you've got like crimson crown and all those other things that we can generate command points from too. I'm going to, I'm going to ask the newbie question here. Yep. Can, can I, can I use my blood tie for two things? Like, could I go, no. uh, I want to get a command point and then I want to summon, you know, five blood. No. It's just, that's it. One thing. And then it's, I think it, I don't know if it says at the beginning, but yeah, it's just once you've used that, got that reward, the command points are set at zero. Okay, so it's, a, it's not just when I summon, we go back to zero. Um, no, it's just anything. So, yeah, you can't even, if you've got six, you can't bring in, use five points to summon and one point to use a blood tithe table. It's just you get one one go at it and then it's set yeah. to zero. Yeah, because obviously, yeah. like, someone's looking at the maths going, right, I've got three blood tie. Oh, I'd love the command point and I'd love, or I'd love to get, you know, five blood, th blood letters down, blood five blood thirsters. I'd love five blood thirsters. Um, <laughs> I'd love five blood letters down. Down. I said and a few times, old. well, yeah, that would be brilliant. I said a few times last year that we could almost be as strong as summoning Slanesh if it was something like that or you didn't lose your blood tie, then you could just do it where we could keep them going. Our summoning would be a lot, lot stronger. But the fact that it goes back to zero, I don't know, it probably makes it a little bit more challenging too. Of the of the allegiance ability, so I, I guess you know you got again we've got the blood lords, got the gore type, we've got the skull fiend tribe, that's a mouthful, we've got the reapers of vengeance. Are, uh, and then obviously we talk, just talked about the flayed ones, we talked about the ones from the rest of the ever chosen. Are there yeah. ones that stand out for you more in the current meta? The Reapers and the Gore Tide, like the current meta with the high heavy shooting. Um it's making life hard for Reapers of Vengeance players. Like that was good last year when, you know, Slanesh, more um, was it um, War Clans and all those were getting around heavy melee. Even Feck, you could go toe to toe with them quite easily. With the shooting and running a lot of points and large monsters, Reapers is going to be a hard push this year. Um, Gortide, I think, will do very well. Having an auto run of six and being able to run and charge for your blood warriors and your um, blood reapers, reavers. Reavers, um, yeah. Yeah, like that, getting across the board, I think that's going to be a lot stronger than this year's sort of meta. I was even considering running a Gortide and a lot of skull reapers, uh, skull takers, uh, skull reapers. Yeah, the um, elite ones. Yeah. They got, you know, just running them with um, blood stokers adding the three to run and charge, you know, just getting big blobs across the board, trying to tie up your opponent just so you can bring in the rest of the boys sort of thing. But the Skull Fiend tribe, I, 
I think that's got a lot to do with core grass. And again, they're not bad, but hard to get a hold of, so hard to build an army around. They're yeah. not bad. I don't know. I think the model lets that down more than anything. I don't think I've ever seen a Skullfiend tribe on the table, to be honest. They're I, not I the not best. Think- I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen, and even like I, you know, I run tournament every year. I don't think I've ever seen a submitted list um, for Skullfiend Tribe. So if you are listening to this and you are a Skullfiend Tribe advocate, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how you're tapping into it. But it's just something that I've never really seen. Yeah, no, I haven't seen. I haven't even heard of many people running it. Again, no. I think that's more of those that sort of thing where you'd probably see a lot of guys running against their mates, you know what I mean? It's got a lot of, um, yeah, say corgis and all that sort of stuff in it. The Bloodlords, that's cool, being able to attack first. But, again, you get the extra speed, you get all that stuff for your general. I just don't think it stacks against the Reapers of Vengeance. If you're going to build your list that way, you may as well just go the Reapers of Vengeance and have things going twice, you know, yeah, having okay. a better magic shutdown. I've had this similar conversation. Like I'm talking to my Cities of Sigma players and, you know, there's a city called Greywater Fastness and I'm like, I don't really see the value in it because I can do the same type of build in Tempest Eye and I just think it's mostly better. Yeah, there's a couple of abilities I'll lose, but I think generally it's a stronger build in Tempest Eye than uh, in Greywater. And I, I'm hearing that this might be a similar type of thing where it's okay, but if you took the same list and apply it somewhere else, you probably get better stuff. Exactly, and that's that's how I find it. Like, there's a few guys around um, that are playing it and playing it quite decently. You know, hats off to them because they're playing something a little bit off center as well. But yeah, I just exactly as you said, there's just better ways to do that allegiance. And by the way, when I, when I talk about this, I'm you know, if you're playing with fun, if you're super passionate about a particular model, um, you know, do you do you? This is your hobby. I've never hobby shamed anyone. Um, this is about more about a tactical doing well at tournaments in and a competitive kind of build. And if uh, that's what we're here talking about more. So if you're sitting here going, oh, man, they're ragging on my my, my allegiance build, uh, mate, just do you. Um, we've all got something stupid we like to put in that's not optimal, but uh, we have, we're passionate and we really enjoy it. So um, Exactly, and that's what makes the game great, really. It's running those things that aren't perfect in a, and making them work in a list is what makes a great list. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly right. And you know, when you get those victories, it's it's highly enjoyable. Um, so that's yeah, we're talking more competitive here, guys. So just FYI. So I've brought you your your list up on the screen. So for anyone who's listening to the podcast, we'll just read it out. But uh, for anyone who's joining us live, uh, we'll read through the different parts of this particular list. Again, there is no one list that is ruling them all. This is just Tyler's list, one one example, and we're kind of going to demonstrate how this all kind of comes into play. So. <laughs> Charlie, starting us off with the, with the Court Allegiance, obviously, you've picked the Mortal yep. Realm from, from Shayish or the Realm of Death. Um, we've got the Slaughter Host of Reapers of Vengeance. So uh, high-level, wide-shake Reapers of Vengeance, and then we'll go into your leaders uh, and then obviously the rest of the units. Yeah, what was that? Sorry, I missed that first one. Uh, sorry, wh- wh- why did you take this particular uh, Mortal Realm and then the, the Reapers? And then of- the Reapers. Um, mortal Realm, this was my master's list, so I was trying to get a little bit tricksy which didn't really pay off, and I thought I'd throw the Ragged Cloak in onto my one of my Bloodthirsters, stop a bit of shooting, slept in for that game, never got to use it against shooting for the whole rest of the tournament, so, yeah, it was a waste of time. But that was the reason for the Mortal Realm. Otherwise, normally I don't run a Mortal Realm because I just use corn abilities and corn artifacts. 
The Reapers of Vengeance, just because basically the commandability, the building commandability where your demon heroes can, well, your demons can pile in and attack twice. And just running heavy bloodthirsters, that's just unbelievable. Um, the Mag Eater having an extra dispel, especially putting it on the Wrath of Corn with the plus two to dispel as the built-in um, artifact, like that's awesome. Or that's general trait, sorry. And the Skull Shard Mantle where if you dispel on an eight, it's auto-dispelled and they yeah. got these six mortals, I believe it is. So funnily enough, I played uh, a game against uh, Monica at the team's tournament. So she was running Corn, and yep. I, had, I had Hello Heart. So Hello Heart can uh, use a command point and get uh, plus D6 to its spell casting. Mm-hmm. I rolled a 17 on one of my spells. Um, oh. So I rolled like an 11 uh, or a 10, plus one from the Hurricanum, plus six, I think it was, from the um, – from, from, yeah, I think it was like a 17 or an 18. And, and she rolled an eight. I rolled an eight. Um, <laughs> and it was a big high five because, like, like you sit there, you're like, one, how on earth am I ever going to beat a 17 or an 18? Boom. Eight, she got it. It's unbelievable. So. And how often it comes up is just – it's unbelievable. It is – a really, really good artifact. That one for a built-in um, allegiance artifact, it's one you'd almost pick anyway. Yeah, and it stacks quite well with the Hex Gorgeous Skulls as well, which was also triggering on that eight. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, those things, they are the best. They actually, that's probably one of the best. Apart from our allegiance abilities and blood tithe, the Hex Gorgeous Skulls will be our strongest thing in our whole book. Yeah, I, I played Doom and Darkness again with uh, with the Hex Gorgeous Skulls. I had a bunch of small little grot wizards who are mostly <laughs> one, or six, one, or, one or two of them go to the gym and they've got like five or six wounds, but most of them are four-wound wizards. And he, I rolled eight twice. Uh, and he basically, basically popped all my wizards. Uh, luckily, a couple of them have after saves, but you're right, that eight comes up more than you realise. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's very nice. It's very, very nice. Actually, I was talking to Paddy at CanCon, and he was saying if you ran them up with Archaeon and threw him out there and got him to throw a couple of spells to pop those eights on the Hex Gorgeous Skulls, you're going to damage all the enemy wizards as well. And Archaeon doesn't care about D6 mortals. But I'm like, that's a nice little tactic, that is. So you've got your Wrath of Corn Bloodthirster, um, who's yep. your general. You've taken the command track Mage Eater, and the artifact is the Skull Shark Mantle. You kind of mentioned, and look, you know what? It, it, it's still not a bad choice given that um, while the Masters, Australian Masters last year, may not have been a shooting kind of build, more and more and more sh- shooting is coming to the table. Seraphon's on the table. You know, we've got Zench is coming it? up and shooting. You can only imagine our Lumineth's going to have shooting. Yeah, that's very true. So this is very probably a lot more viable than it was last year anyway, this list. Well, at least, you know, at the Masters, it's only like 10 or 12 players. So it's, you know, a highly optimised, very bizarre meta. So, um, so I, think I, still, I still think there's there's relevance to the Skull Shard Mantle. Um, and then Mage Eater you just talked about. Sorry. That's all right. Um, anything else you want to talk about from the Wrath of, the wrath of Corn Bloodthirsty? Because I can see you've got all three. Actually, got all four technically versions. You've got the Wrath. He's my favourite Thirster. It's the fact that one unbuffed, he's probably the best in combat. He's got two shooting attacks, which is just awesome. Like one of them doing six damage. You know, the other one's just mortal wounds. Yeah, in combat, he's as good as any of the others. But his command ability... 
He's the one I love. His command ability allows you to re-roll hit rolls for I think it's demon heroes, which is basically my bloodthirsters. So guys that hitting on fours and now get to re-roll that for, ble- uh, blood, uh, for a command point. Also, his he gets to dispel with a plus two, giving him like the mag eater, which gives him an additional dispel. Just makes him is so strong as you know a buff piece and a bit of a beat stick as well. Then with the Reapers of Vengeance command ability allowing him to attack twice, like twelve attacks, threes and twos, neg two d three damage is going to move a fair bit of stuff just on his own. So, yeah, he's hands down my favourite Bloodthirster. Yeah, I mean, he's got, like, plus two of the unbinding rolls. Like, he's got some pretty sweet um, stuff going on. I guess before I move on to the next Bloodthirster, why him, out of all of your Bloodthirsters, why is he the general? Because of the general com- the general trait, the command ability. The, yeah, the general trait, Mag Eater, which gives him additional dispel. Gotcha. Cool. So that, that kind of combines well with the rune, uh, so the rune crown of corn, which is a plus two to unbind. Yeah, exactly. Well. So it just gives you two plus two dispels, you know, like and stack that with the um, the skulls, which is another neg two, and then with the altar, he's got plus five to dispel twice. You know, you can shut yeah, down the gas pretty well with that. Making your opponent's life about time, then add a couple of, uh, I, I don't know what's coming up next, but, you know, there's, there's other ways to then increase um, uh, your unbind opportunities, um, or at least some of them on the table, which is great. And, again, we're kind of entering this high magic with the likes of Cities of Sigma, with the likes of Zench and Seraphon, and you can only imagine um, Teclas is going to be a strong magic caster when Luminous come out. Exactly. Yes, no, uh, magic's so strong, and this that's the good thing about the Reapers. It is, you know, it just, he amplifies his abilities so well. Anything else about the Wrath, or should we talk next about, you got the next one up with the Bloodthirster? No, that's about of, him. Next one is up is the Bloodthirster of Unfettered Fury. Now, he's in pretty much 90% of corn lists with Bloodthirsters these days for the six-inch pile-in. It's yeah. just... It's a game changer, you know. It allowed us. I found it made corn. I loved used to love playing Slanesh because they couldn't deal with it real well. There's so many armies, daughters. You know, you could put a screen out in front of you, put two screens in front of you. They could hit it. You could then pile in six inches, hit over the top of your, you know, your own models, and just wreck people. You know, you could run six inches and then pile in an additional six inches. So, you know, it's like getting a 12-inch charge off every turn. You know, it's just all these little things. It was a game-changer for corn, really. So, so the benefits of that, and, you know, you might want to add to this, you know, because some people may not see the real benefit to that. Like, oh, six-inch piling, it just means that I can move my, my stuff longer. It's not quite what it's about. So the six-inch piling is going to help you. One, you're right, if I'm in combat, I can pile in and I can kind of, or I can, as I'm about to pile in, I can probably get into a juicier target. Yes, absolutely. But you, you mentioned a comment, I might get you to expand upon this, and you said it's great against Slanish. So we talk about the order, the sequence order. So the Keeper of Secrets, I think, is it within six or within three inches? It can was roll it within, six, within six inches? Was it on a two up at that stage? It's changed now. You'd go last in combat. And it didn't matter because if I was four inches away from them, I'm going last in combat. They can't activate combat because they're not within three inches of me. So even though I'm going last, 
I still get to hit them. And, you'll, you know, like that was it, basically game over. So, yeah, you could run up. You could leave three bloodthirsters out of combat or even the good way to do it because with the Reapers you couldn't stack the attacking twice and then the battalion ability of going one after the other. But the way to get around that would be to run all your bloodthirsters up, stay five inches away, activate the six-inch pile-in, and then you can just go with twice, one after the other, until, you know, they wouldn't have much left anyway. Yeah, so it's really playing around with not being within three, but being in that four or five kind of back up bracket, uh, tapping into, you know, you've got a lot of two-inch reach weapons as well, so you're able to uh, get into some of the more juicier targets, but also you're able to play around or even be drawn into combat when you weren't actually in combat range. Exactly. It allows you to dictate combat very nicely. You know, you, as I said, yeah, you don't have to be in combat. Even them charging you. No one wants to charge 10 Blood Reavers and end up with three Bloodthirsters piling in over the top because they're four and a half, five inches away. And yeah. it just, yeah, it stopped a lot of that, which then if they're not charging, they're not killing my screens, I can still attack over them. It just, yeah, it'll... It, it made your opponent think and it put them off balance too because a lot of people weren't used to playing against it because it was one of those weird rules that was written to be against the main rules. The Land Rebels as well, before we move on to the, the next one, uh, I really like the Land Rebels. So at the start of the hero phase, roll the dice for each enemy unit hold within eight uh, on a five plus you take a mortal wound as well. So that's a nice little way to kind of chip down some wounds, especially now you're in combat. Um, I don't think you, I think also the Unfettered Fury, you can stop an opponent retreating. Uh, yeah, the side of the enemy movement phase, pick one enemy unit within three inches of the model. That unit cannot retreat in that phase. That's so. awesome. Skaven, you know, just things like that. That is, it's more useful than you think, but it's yeah. very easily forgotten about as well. And I think a lot of those little rules, a lot of people don't use them, but that's what makes these things like, that takes them to that next level, you know, just those little sort of tiny little things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Dan Brewer was talking to us earlier about just the, you know, the ability to retreat and charge is just winning games alone just by, you know, dictating the table. Um, people take uh, skinks in Starborn to allow them to be able to move around the board again, retreat and charge. You're stopping that objective. Um, so, so, yeah, retreat. Anything else you want to add around the blood, the bloodthirst, the unfettered fury? No, not really. Like, again, solid bloodthirst. He's done a hit. He's more of a buff character. Um, I normally, if I wasn't running the Ragged Cloak on the Insensate Rage, I used to run him with the Crimson Crown, which allowed you to use um, your command ability on your War Scroll for free once per turn. Which, which, which is, again, awesome. yeah, yeah, you're going to use it, and it's a free CP basically once per turn. So that was a good way to use that and allowed you to use it basically whenever you wanted. Next up, we've got the Bloodthirster of Incessant Rage, uh, and, that, and we've just talked about the Ragged Cloak. So um, maybe maybe why did you put the Ragged Cloak on this particular model, and then what does this particular Bloodthirster bring to the table? Well, I put on him mainly because, like, the Ragged Cloak, it can't be um, targeted for shooting for a turn. He's your beat stick, basically. He's got less attacks. He hits on a four, not a three, so he's not as reliable. You can buff him out nicely. Like, you can get him down to a two, twos and twos. But, you know, for me, if I put a lot of artifacts and stuff like that that are actually making my army work on him, I'm scared to throw him at someone. But he's devastating. When he rolls a six to wound, he does four mortal wounds, or depending on his wound chart. But at best, 
It's four mortal wounds for every six to wound to every unit within uh, eight inches of him, which can just, yeah, clear a board basically. So he's, he does only have five attacks with the Wrath of Corn Axe. So um, you're lucky probably to get one six off. But Exactly. I, it, boom. it sounds awesome, but you can go like you can go tournaments and not roll one six. But mind you, you can go other tournaments and you can roll sixes all day. And yeah, but when it goes off, because you're killing, you know, you get two sixes, that's eight mortal wounds within eight inches. It's just devastating. In, in addition to the regular damage. So that's in, in addition, addition to the Ren 2 D6 damage that you're about to hit, hit whatever. Yeah. And it's just the thought of it more than anything. Again, when people know what, are, what it is, it's more how your opponents move around him, you know, like just having that thing like, again, you play Grotz or Cities. You don't want him hitting your line. He'll kill so many, he could potential to kill so many of your small characters in one round of combat that it's just not worth moving up and just holding back a little bit more and just he's very good at just making your opponent not do what they want to do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you yeah, know, the beautiful thing about this type of build is that, all three, technically all four, when, when we talk about Scarbrand, which comes up next, all four of them are a threat. Um, each opponent should be having at least three to four threats in their armies. Uh, this alone is four threats. So I could focus all of my attention on that unfettered fury to stop at the six-inch pile-in, but then I've got the Wrath or Bloodthirster, I've got the Incessant Rage Bloodthirster coming at me, and all of them are equally damaging and equally scary so you you do force your opponent to make tough decisions and you're right as a grot player i work off potential um my mangler squeak could kill six or seven you know massive dudes um it, it's, it's destroyed a brass stampede on the flip side it's it hits you with a pillow and you just laugh at me but it's that damaging potential that people freak out of that go holy shit you could you could auto delete my, my buff piece <laughs> big hero and actual fact you know the likelihood of getting that one six to wound is pretty slim but it's that potential of getting a hit that people are worried about exactly exactly and i think that's a major strategy of the game you know especially competitively it's making your opponent not do what they want to do and that's the thing just having him sitting out there throwing him out there early you know people don't want to move up their nasty stuff because he can delete anything when he wants to but mind you, he hits on fours. There's times when I've had him go in twice and maybe make two wounds. D6 damage yeah. as well. It's too random, you know. But, yeah, for 270 points, very, very good, like, scare carnifacts at worst-case scenario. Yeah, 100%. Speaking of the granddaddy of scare carnifacts, it is the Scar brand himself, a man that, or a female, <laughs> whatever you want I should probably stop putting genders on things. They're just bloody models. <laughs> uh, but Scarbrand is is something that people either love or hate. Uh, a very interesting particular model. Why Scarbrand? What is that bringing to the table? I was running two Insensate Rages for quite a while. And where I had problem was running up, I think I played Neil's List in one tournament and Nighthorns. And I just had... So many of these armies with ethereal saves, or they will ignore my rend. And bloodthirsters are terrible without rend too. So mm. I just needed—I didn't have the mortal wound output 
reliably in my army, and that's where Scarbrand came. Having him go twice, doing eight mortal wounds twice. So he's guaranteed 16 mortal wounds off one of his weapons every combat phase. After the Which first is crazy. round. Which is crazy. Crazy. And that's guaranteed. That's on a one-up. You roll a six, that's 16 mortal wounds, and you can do that twice. You know, you can have, potentially have 32 mortal wounds out of one round of combat. And then he's got another weapon. I think it's got eight attacks, fours and three, or threes and threes, or fours and threes, neg two, three damage. Like, he is he's an army killer. So, f- funny story. I can't remember when. I've, I know I've told this on the channel at least once. Um, Scarbrand in one round of combat. Uh, I'm not talking about Battleshock here. This is one round of combat. Killed 54 grots. Yep. That's 54 damage because he, he activated twice. Um, uh, he just had that, those, I think he triggered that explosion twice. Um, but and if that you was... throw a blood secretor in there, you get two attacks per round. So you have four of those attacks. So potentially you could do 64 damage out of one weapon in one round of combat. Which is brutal. And I know, I know I'm talking about grots, but still that is... That's a lot of wounds if you apply that to something else. That was 50, 54 or 56 damage. Um, You'd which expect is gonna... them to hold a unit up for at least two turns, really. I mean, I was really lucky because I had a, a, I was able to apply command point uh, to inspire presence. I had fanatics in there, and then the fanatics ended up whooping him. Um, but that's not the story. The story is he did 54 damage or 56 damage, which is going to delete the best hero uh, or the best unit probably that's holding an objective. So... Uh, again, potential alone, Scarbrand. Um, it's a scary threat that um, that will then stop people from attacking. You know, your incessant rage of in front and fit of fury. Exactly, exactly. I used him as a great flanking piece because you could run him with a little bit of a screen. No one wanted to go near him, and he could just yeah. When he hits, he just causes so much damage. He just ruins the side of a board, basically. Finally, from a hero selection, you've got your Slaughter Priest, which has the blood blessing of Killing Frenzy. Yeah. Again, normally I run, um, what is it, Blood Sacrifice to harvest the blood ties. Yeah. Again, I just try to try something a little bit different here, go for the easier one where that's plus. Killing Frenzy is great. It's plus one to hit, which is awesome for any army. But um, the Slaughter Priest's biggest thing, the main reason I ran him in every army was the fact that he can summon the hex gorgeous skulls mm. i'm a bit of a fan of like i don't run a secreta i don't i try to keep it off what everybody tries to run their corn list that you know everyone says you have to have slaughter priest you have to have a secreta or it doesn't work you know if i could summon the hex gorgeous skulls from something else i would have dropped him as well he is a very good piece for 100 points he's awesome but I try to use him in my army as a solo piece where everyone tries to target him to beat you. And I've had people just try to put so much effort into killing him. If I've got blood sacrifice on him and he's bringing out the skulls, that's his only really role for the army. He's not buffing anything else. People can do what they want to do. They're going to kill 100 points, maybe 140 points with with the judgments, but it doesn't affect the way my bloodthirsters and the rest of my army works. And that's the way I try to build him was because I know I just find Corn's very vulnerable if you've got all these small characters that someone can come in and pick off early turns, you know, and then what do you do then? You just got a whole bunch of 
nothing running up the board trying to you know wave their weapons around basically yeah and, and like you know that's that's always a strategy when you come up against a, a gore pilgrims is you know there's particular heroes you want to take down first to kind of disarm the gore pilgrims but that's not why you bring in the slaughter priest into this particular picture so um again nice little threat and people have flashbacks from their, their gore pilgrim days and they might be going for that slaughter priest um and you know what if it does die the Hex Gorgeous Skulls isn't that expensive. So it's not like you're losing, you know, this massive points investment of, you know, Umbral Spell Portal or Geminids or, you know, um, something that's, you know, that in that 60 to 100 points. Um, it's 40 hey, points, exactly. Yeah. And the cool thing as well as Hex Gorgeous Skulls is their prayers. So it means that, you know, your Wizard Unbinds aren't going to really come into play. So that's exactly right. Exactly. Uh, so from a unit point of view, um, you've got a whole bunch of cool things, uh, some interesting things as well. Some people might go, what? So you've got 10 Blood Reavers, 10 Blood Reavers, 10 Blood Reavers. Two of them have Meat Ripper axes. One has the Reaver Blades. Um, oh, you've got four. Sorry, my eyes are tripping me. So you've got three units of the, the Meat Tripper axes, and then you've got one with the Reaver Blades. Uh, and then you've got two units of five Centigals, so uh, pulling out of the Beast of Chaos book. So... Uh, bring me to the Blood Reavers. So I guess two, why four units? Why are they 10? And why is three got the Meat Rippers and one has the Reaver Blades? Weapon options, it's just WYSIWYG and that's what I've got built. You know, it's just, to me, Blood Reavers, if they kill, if they make one kill, one wound in a tournament, I'll be wrapped. They're just there as speed bumps and blood type. Uh, 70 points, they've got a six up save, there's 10 wounds. They run away. I don't know. I try not to take um, banners or anything like that with them. They're basically there to die as quick as possible. And I look at that's full blood tithe. To get those full blood tithe, they may have lost a unit or two. So that's potentially six blood tithe over two point two turns is the way I look at those blood reavers. And that's it, really. You know, like, yes, yeah, speed bumps and blood tithe. The centigores. Oops, tapping into that multiple, you know, and we use this term MSU, which means multiple small units. So you're you're kind of using this to generate those command points, other command points, the blood tie points through having not big blocks of thirty because it's going to take a long time to get that one um, that one blood tie. You're going for multiple small units, which is one going to screen up the board, two give you flexibility to move around the board and you know hold an objective, screen from like a teleport. Uh, and three obviously generate blood tie. Exactly, and that's all they are. Like people invest a lot of points into characters to buff out reavers, and they can get quite effective. You can get them up to five attacks with Ren one. You know, like they can be quite good, but it's not the way I build it. And I figure, what's the point of investing a little bit of points in, like a Secretor, to make them sort of good, when I may as well just use them for what they are? Is basically yeah, just speed bumps, blood ties, cheap. Yeah. And hey, you know what? They're the perfect screen for that six-inch pile in blood uh, bloodthirster. So, um, you know, keep them four inches or three inches, uh, or four four inches. Uh, so if they do get charged in combat, they're out. They can't be kind of targeted. And then you activate the command point. They move in. Happy days. Uh, you've protected them with some cheap seventy-point bodies. Exactly, and they're not too bad. They move six. They get plus one to run and charge. You know, like. They, they can move half decently up the board. They're not fast by any means, but they're not slow either. Then you've got some centigors. So you've got two units of five centigors. So how, how do they come into this army? Like Because they're, they're, they're not in the battle tome. They're not in the battle tome, no. I find the, 
the hardest thing for me with corn is we're not fast. It's not a slow army, but it's only a mid-range, you know. We haven't got any super fast units, and I found that's what hurt quite a bit was just getting up the board, crowding your opponent, and allowing my big boys to roll through and then do, you know, pick their spot and then do their thing. I was running some Warhounds as well um, and Senegals. Senegals, to me, are probably my favourite unit in the whole game. They got a four-up save, which, you know, for a corn player, that's awesome for my, you know, just a basic unit. Two wounds each. So there's 10 wounds in there, 80 points. They got a 14-inch move. They can run and charge and they get plus one to run, I think it is, and plus one to pile in. So they've got a 21-inch threat range and they can charge, you know, which is crazy. They've been game yeah. winners for me, just stealing objectives, you know, pushing them up the side of the boards, hitting people's lines turn one, jamming up, you know, like Slanesh, jamming up a heap of demonettes, tagging the side of them. They can't do anything for a turn or so. By the time I can get up there then, next turn, you're in behind their units claiming objectives. You know, for 80 points, they are the best best unit in the game. I know Matt Campbell. Again, I keep referring to Matt Campbell. He's probably no, my biggest right. reference. He's, he's probably my biggest reference point because he is the one I probably play the he most. He is the best corn player around. Oh, yeah, he's not only a great player, but he's in my local scene, so I'm playing Matt constantly. Well, yeah. I often play Matt a lot. Um, but I know Matt is using, well, was using um, for a while, uh, flesh hounds. So flesh kind hounds, of, and in the battalion he uses gives them, I think, ten inch move. Yeah. Plus, you you know, yeah. for the extra twenty points per unit, you get the unbind as well. You're able to have it to to attempt to dispel a, a model. So um, that that well, gives you the flexibility if that's important. Exactly. That is right. Like again, I like. I like the Senegals because they are a bit off-centre. You don't see them very often either. It That is true. But, again, even 10 inches, I just found it's fast mid-tier speed. I wanted high speed. You know what I mean? And I found, as I said, 21 inches and you can pull the charge off. You know, that's to me, is just it was helping the rest of my army work. Having the four-up save as well, you could tag a unit and you could most of the time keep them there for a turn or two. And as I said, just objective stealers. When I was running um, Warhounds, they were great because they got a minimum 16-inch run. So, you know, you just get an auto six. But just pushing them straight up turn one, six or eight inches away from the opponent, knowing they're going to die, and they were like the Blood Reavers where cheap blood ties and your opponent's only moving so far this turn. Just so the internet doesn't rage at me, just to clarify, yeah. are Centigore's allies in this unit, uh, in this army, are they marked or how, how do they come no, into this? No, they're board? not marked. They're just, um, to have them marked the corn, you have to run them in the battalion, the Beastman battalion. Yeah, so Beast of um, Chaos have particular battalions so you can mark them for corn, Nurgle, blah, blah, blah. So they're yeah. not marked. No, they're just allies, basic allies. Okay. And I just found they still generate blood tithe because of any unit that's destroyed. Um, so they're basically still got the same role as the Blood Reavers. They're getting as buffed as the Blood Reavers. But as I said, they're just so quick. Um, again, I could put in Flesh Hounds and there's other options. But with the amount of points I've invested in my characters, I still felt that I needed at least six screening units to be able to give myself time to be able to use those guys to their full potential. So and that's basically why I haven't got Flesh hounds for the extra unbinds and stuff like that in there. 
Yeah, that's fine. And, and again, this kind of just demonstrates that <laughs> there is no one single list. You know, you build it around you. If you don't want to do center goals, cool, go find something else. If you like the idea of, you know, the fast speed, fast movement, or if you are going to go flesh hounds and realize that they don't move as fast as center goals, how can I make them faster? You know, exactly. is there a way, you know, or is that important to me? Um, so, you know, again, there's just lots of different ways you can do this. This is just one example. Um, it's and, just you know, total if- play style with corn. Like it's just, I just wanted something to get in their face turn one. Again, you don't. That's just me, basically. And as I said, my biggest thing with them was trying to make something that was off centre work. That didn't really affect me too much. Sorry. No, 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 that's fine. A a burning question that I have, and I know the chat's chat's asking me this as well, Um, they want to know what the thoughts are between, um, and they're not in your list, but they just like your general thoughts around if you were going to build skull crushes or blood crushes, which one do you have a preference on? like for the points, skull crushes, the five up save for our demons is horrible. You know, I don't, maybe they might have a four up, but I know the mortal ones are, they're just too tough. They haven't got the damage output, but, but I've even, I've been playing with an Archaeon list lately because you can get him as an absolute beat stick in corn. But I was even considering running the skull crushes as battle line for him just because they're so beefy. For a corn yeah. unit, you know, three up save, you can get them to a two up quite easily. They can move quite well. Yeah, um, yeah I think skull crushes without even a second thought. But yeah, skull crushes for me seem to be the better better of the two. Um, and they're not if that I was much going, more expensive. No, but if I had again, I had a plan or a battalion, or I had something that I was building around. Uh, there, there, is, there is viability in blood crushes. It's just you've got to think a bit harder around how you maximise this big point investment. I think if you want to get blood crushes in your army, I would build more around trying to summon them in for five blood types. Yeah. And which wouldn't be hard to do, you know what I mean? Like you could have a plan to have them out there by turn two or three, you know. Like as I said, my list, that list there, I try to have by my turn two, um, four blood ties, five blood ties, you know what I mean? And then I've got, yeah, that's just from losing my own um, chaff. So you could build a list more so to slow them down, build them up, and then just to have them coming in. But I don't think the points for blood crushes, there's just, again, so many better options around than skull crushes is the way to go. And in saying all of this as well, right, you know, the general's handbook is fast approaching. So who knows if, if the points are going to change? Who knows what's going to come in the next iteration? Who knows what Gargans and Lumineth and whatever extra army comes up next? And who knows? There might be something in there. But probably what I'm hearing at this point in time, we're going skull over blood crushes yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Demons in the new corn, we, most of the demons caught the pretty big hit except for the bloodthirsters. Which is why we're probably seeing more Gore Pilgrim-esque mortal builds um, as opposed to what we used to see when the, the book very first come out, which is that big blocks of blood letters running up at your face. Um, murder, murder host. Um, you'd have murder host or you'd have the blood crusher version, which is just that turn one in your face. Exactly. Um, and corn hasn't got that sort of speed anymore, I find, as a whole. And that's well. That goes back to why I've got my Senegals in there, just to have that turn one. Here's something in your face to deal with, sort of thing. And I had heaps of fun converting them as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, look, again, do you pick your models you enjoy? Whatever. Um, this is just one of many examples. 
you've got the Tyrants of Blood uh, Battalion and you're bringing us a Hex Gorgeous Skulls and an additional command point. So um, probably no surprise why we're taking the Tyrants of Blood. No, it's too good not to. Like the day I picked up the book and flicked through it, like it's the thing that jumps out that you having stacking that with the Reaper's Vengeance. It's one of those rules when you first look at it, you're reading it five or six times to make sure you've actually got it right. You know, having your bloodthirsters going one after the other or being able to go twice or having, you know, just having five bloodthirster attacks in a row is devastating. Most armies can't handle that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is devastating, especially when you're building around it. It's clearly you, you are building around it and putting so many points into your heroes. Uh, Hex Gorgeous Skulls, uh, absolute no-brainer. 40 points, it is going to annoy the living bejeebus out of your opponents if they are a spell-casting army. The threat load alone of hitting an eight on an, a natural eight cast um, is, is brutal and scary, especially because a lot of wizards, especially those lower wizards, don't have, like, a mortal wound save, so you can pop them quite easily. Yep, and it's a natural eight too, so it doesn't yeah. matter how many buffs you got. It's just, it's so it's surprising how often that eight goes off. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm playing against, it. Sorry? I've played against Hex Gorgeous Scales many times now, and you can almost reliably get, it always happens. Look, for me, i got, like, three or four casters in my army, and it always happens at least once a game. Um yeah, but that's why they're there. They are, for 40 points, they're the best additional unit to that new book than from what we had. Like, they're, they are great. To me, they are the must-take in the book out of everything. And then finally you got your additional command point. Yeah, well, it's a pretty heavy command point army, that one, where, like, my Wrath of Corn's command ability going off, you know, the six-inch piling command ability going off, um, all my Bloodthirsters attacking twice, command abilities going off. So, yeah, there's a lot of command point heavy, that very command point heavy, that army. So, so talk me through, like, how do you win? So if I'm if I'm playing Corn and, if we, you know, we alluded to it, uh, well, I didn't allude, I, I said it, you know, this army is not a Iron Jaws run up and just smash and, you know, smash and bash. You know, you are very a bit more tactical because you are a glass cannon. You can't take the hit as well as you dish the hit. So I guess, yeah, how do you win? How do you win this game? Obviously, again, tables and scenarios and opponents are going to be different, but at a high level. My tactic basically is literally jamming the board with small um, speed bumps and just trying to – that board control to me was the main way to do it, trying to jam them up, only allowing them to do what they can do just trying to pick off sides, picking off screens until you can get to the meat of their army without them getting back. You know, like the four bloodthirsters going up, just having triple screens or double screens all the way through, knowing that if they hit me, they're not going to go through me. Even if they double turn me, they're not going to get through those screens before my bloodthirsters can hit back, knowing that I can always retaliate. They're not going to be outside of that six inches. Um. You've got to keep it as a very close fist to a certain degree, I found, until you're ready to explode. Yeah. Sort of, you know, you're just moving up, moving up, picking your time. And when you pick your time, if you pick your time right, you know, as I said, you just you can crush an opponent's army in a turn if you hit them at the right time, in the right spot. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's a massive mistake in most games if you try to be like a turn one charging more crusher or stonehorn. If you just try to run up the board like the old corn, you know, the 2016, 2017 corn, yep. you're likely to get smashed and you can't take the hit. Uh, that's no, the one thing I've noticed, I've noticed, especially if I can double turn corn, that's where I find that I can really swing the momentum of the game because you just can't take the hit. No, that's exactly right. And like like even my list there, it's you touch those bloodthirsters, if you get a charge in on me, I've got no chance of withstanding it. You'll wipe them. Most you don't even need anything good to wipe all those, you know, you get 20, 20 yard boys into those four bloodthirsters. It's good night, you know what I mean? You lose that, there's sixteen hundred points or twelve hundred points of your army just gone. You can you got nothing back. So yeah, it's really keeping your opponent away from you till you're ready to strike first. You know, and if you hit first, Skaven was quite hard last year, you know, if they're shooting, but it wasn't a great deal of long-range shooting. So you could pick at it and with using your blood tithe right, you could bounce forward. It's going to be a lot harder this year with like Seraphim. I know they're just brutal amount of shooting. That's going to be quite hard to buff out on. Um, Zinch, I haven't played Zinch yet, but I know they're going to be quite hard. Cities, cities. Like I'm, I'm, I'm playing a lot of cities. I'm doing a lot of tabletop simulator. I'm seeing other people playing. The amount of attacks that come out of Iron Drakes that come out of, you know, your crossbowmen, your hand gunners. You know, you can put out your Sisters of the Watch, Thorn, the ones that are on the Sisters of the Watch. Um, there's a lot of shooting coming out, and to be able to deal with things like Lords of Change, to be able to take out things like an OBR, taking out things like the Harvesters, or talking about, you know, some of those character buff pieces. Um, we are leaning in more and more and more into shooting and longer range shooting as well, mortal wound shooting to take down things like the Stilodons. So yeah. uh, if I was a corn player, I would expect that there's going to be more shooting than ever um, when tournaments resume. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, like, that list there was great last year. I think it's going to struggle this year, multi-large units. You know, you don't get me wrong, you're going to win a lot of games, but... When you start getting those final days and the top of the tables and when you're getting, as you say, a lot of that long-range shooting with people know how to use it, it's going to be an uphill battle. So I'm thinking, like, again, Mortal Corn can be quite good and can be quite fast with your Gortides. Um, you can get things like Blood Stokers in there and we can get units with quite good saves by the time we buff them in that. So there's a few options around that, but the Bloodthirst days, it's like... It's like Slanesh. You don't see as many Slanesh lists rounds or, you know, Terragoss lists. These things, we're just, they're going to get picked off. Yeah. And just, just to clarify questions coming up here as well. So when I summon, so this, and this is like um, someone that may, someone may have missed this, uh, you know, maybe you, you, you took a, a pause from Age of Sigma for a while. In the old version of Age of Sigma, when you summon something that counted towards your army points. So you yep. couldn't summon something above 2,000 points. You'd have like these points in reserve. But now in Age of Sigma, since General's Handbook, maybe 18, 19, kind of around that Soul Wars time, yeah, summoning, is, yeah. Yeah, summoning is free essentially. So you still put down your 2,000 points of, of your models on the board and anything you can generate through Blood Tie or yeah, Zench does it through, you know, casting of spells. That's put on the table in addition to your 2,000 points that you are legally allowed in a match play game to put down. So um, just to clarify, in case anyone new is thinking, oh, but I only want to put 1,600 points down and I've got, you know, a couple of points. 
Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But, um, Just, yeah, no, yeah, sorry. No, that's fine. That's, that's, anything else? Yeah, how do you No, doing? no, that's, that's about it, really. I can't, yeah. I just, yeah, as I said, new meta, I think it's going to be a whole new world for corn. We just, we haven't got the firepower, you know, to sit back. We've got to get in their face. As you said, we're not smashing your face. You've got to go into most games with game plan. I think that's the thing of corn. You've got to have a battle plan going into a game. You can't just run across the board blindly. It's not going to no. turn out good. No, the, the 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 waves of murder host are long gone. Um, yeah. Do we do we bring in shooting? Do we bring in skull crush and skull crush, skull cannons? Skull cannons. Yeah, uh, skull cannons can make a return. I know we started to see them when they were pre FAQ'd, and you could buff them. Um, You're getting two shots out of them. Yeah, yeah. There's, there was like this window of ten minutes where you could buff the shooting, and then that kind of quickly got nerfed. But is there a return of bringing some shooting back into corn? With how many points we have to pay for our shooting, like those skull cannons, I don't even know how many points. I think they're about 140 points or something for one shot. Threes and threes, you know, like it's not what you, it, you you're never going to get the points out of them ever, you know. And other than that, we haven't got the options. I've looked at the the mercenary companies, the Blackfire, you know, the dwarf cannons and stuff like that. By the time you get a unit of that in there with a lord, you know, you're looking at only 500 points to make that work. And you lose a CP by taking, you lose your first CP um, yep. by taking, like, the uh, mercenary companies. Yeah, there's just, it's not a viable option, and we don't have the shooting viable options. I think it's going to be more of just swarming the board, you know what I mean? Maybe trying, like, um, marauders. They're a very good option. A few of these... Um, like slaves to darkness units to go in there marauders you can run units of 20 of those you can shoot them up the board with a few slaves characters you can get them i think plus six to run and charge sort of thing you know and then they're running with the minimal dice rolls turned to a six so you can get them up the board quite well tying things up archaeon you can buff him out to like a one-up re-rollable save that just flies across the board at 29 inches you know there's a few options like this yeah. But I think Corn's going to have to look at more survivability so we can actually get into combat more than just going, when I touch you, you're dead, but if you touch me first, I'm dead. You know, yeah. we haven't got that option anymore. And, and how many drops is this list? That list is five. No, eight. Eight, eight yeah. Corn's number. Yeah, I built my list to be eight drops. Be rewarded. Um, so maybe that's another thing to con consider is um, looking at ways to get down your drops as much as possible so you can dictate who goes first. Because I can tell you right now, if you and I were playing Tyler, I would, uh, and I was out dropping you, I'd let you go first because yeah, I've well, got a lot of magic, I've got a lot of shooting, I want to get in range as much as possible. Um, so if, if you want to be able to dictate the terms of the battlefield, you know, thinking about ways you can reduce those drops, double battalions, whatever. Exactly. Like, as I said, that worked quite well last year. I think 60% of the time I was still dictating with that eight drops, but I was quite lucky as well. But, yeah, I think you want to be looking at about five drops to have a good chance. And it's quite easy to do. Like, I've built a few lists like it. Again, I just – I built it at eight drops because I could claim as a fluffy list then. Uh, um, I love it. That's I love about it. it. And look, you know, I might do another show like this, but more focused around the mortals. I think, again, you know, if we talk to mortal build, um, hell, you could bring in, you know, um, the Gaunt Summoner 
Uh, if you want to bring a little bit of magic into your army and they once per game can bring in a free unit of, you know, pink horrors or blood letters or, you know, bring on some, some additional bodies as well. So it's, it's a pretty cheap hero. Um, exactly. Well, I found even without the Gaunt Summoner, like bringing slaves units if you wanted to add magic. I added magic at CanCon and I brought in just the um, Slaves of Darkness Sorcerer Lord on foot. If you've got any units then, like his built-in spells for slaves of characters was awesome. I know it didn't have the summoning, but 110 points, adding a little bit of magic to your army was very effective, you know. And, again, adding slaves units to it, you know, even knights for 180 points, those things hit like a truck. If you've got the right buff characters, there's your speed and you know what I mean. So there's, I think... If you sat down and done a little bit of work and didn't mind applying anything from demons to mortals to slaves to even a few beasts and stuff like that in there, you can bring all the weaknesses and all the strengths together sort of thing and build something effective even for the new meta. Yeah, think about if you're going demon, going mixed, you're going mortal. Uh, you're right, you know, we can draw upon. This 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 to me is very Cities of Sigmar-esque, right, because you guys can draw from Beasts of Chaos, you can draw from um, the the Wrath of the Ever Chosen. Yep. You can draw, can draw from Slaves of Darkness. You can draw from your own battle tome. So you know you can kind of make your own thing, and um, you know whatever your strength is. Clearly, your strength is in your blood bloodthirsters and really making the most of those guys. But again, you know if you want to go Karanak, you want to tap into um, the Blood Hunt Battalion, and you know tapping into you know whatever it might be, or you know you love your blood crushers. Um, yeah, like exactly. Exactly. I think big thing, like there's no right or wrong build. As I said, like there's so many different ways to build corn. Um, have a plan. Try and like those allegiance abilities, best place to start. And then have a plan on what you want to do with your blood tithe and your summoning and that sort of stuff. And then just go from there. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways. Corn's biggest weakness, you can only have six characters in a list. We've got 50 characters that you want to put in a list. You know what I mean? So overbuffing is a really good way to bring yourself down, you know. And as I said, you can put in – I've seen guys running very similar lists to mine with the four Bloodthirst, the Scarbrand and that, and they have a Blood Secretor in there. And next thing, they've only got four or five um, screen units. You know, if you've got four screen units, all of a sudden those guys hit you one turn and double turn you, now they're – into your meat, you know? And it's just, yeah, I find it very easy to go too far with corn. You know, just yeah. work out what you want to do and don't take it further than that. Just try and make what you're trying to do work. And this is, that was literally my, my discussion with Michael Clark when I was talking about Hello Heart is that Hello Heart really rewards you for getting like magical supremacy. But there's this point where you, you're all, you've got too much redundancy or you put too many points in your, your magic and you don't have enough to screen you don't have enough to claim objectives and when things go south and you know again i talk about this turn one charging more crusher or um or stonehorn and there are other ways that people can get in your face turn one if i if i can't dictate the terms of battle if i can't um outdrop my opponent and they turn one charge me without my buffs uh without my command points because I, I don't have enough for inspiring presence or i'm wholly out of out of my buff pieces um i'm in for a bad time and the game's almost lost its deployment so thinking about that, and um, at least you're lucky to have a really robust summoning pool. So, you know, you can bring in different things. Yeah, it is good like that. As I said, you, it's, it's very easy to reliably say, 
to build around something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Nurgle. I've got a new Nurgle army plan for that. And I'm like, it's very hard to summon. It's very hard, easy to shut down their summoning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same as Slanesh. It's easy to shut down their summoning too. You just throw one wound models at them all the game and they can't bring anything back. Corn is lucky like that, that you can, as you say, it's not strong, but it's very robust. Yeah. You can just keep doing it all game basically. And yeah, you're pretty right like that. But yeah, as I said, if that's the way you want to go, that's the way you build. But if you want to play those blood ties, as I said, I think that is the stronger way to do it. It's probably a little bit more hit miss where you're not getting the units on the board as much. But when it yeah. goes off, it goes off a lot stronger. Yeah. Um, the last question I've got here to wrap things up is what have you learned in your time of playing with corn that might not be almost like obvious on the book? So if I was reading the book for the first time and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at things and maybe it's a something that I think is going to work really well, and I think we've talked about the blood tie, you know, not always focusing on the, the bloodthirster, then yep. what have you learned in all of your experience that might not be as obvious just reading this battle term for the first time? Well, I think I've touched on them both, but one, I think we're a lot slower than we look, and I think that catches a lot of people out. Like, you know, even a 10-inch move, or, you know, guys that move eight inches and that, it's not fast when you look at other people, other armies' fast movements. And, yeah, I think that can, that can be one of our major weaknesses that a lot of people just don't realise until they start playing guys like eels and stuff like that where you've just got no chance to keep up. Um, I think the other weakness, and I think, again, I just said it, it's so easy to overbuff this army. It's so easy just to see, oh, look at these Reavers. they got like 16 attacks each. Look how good they are. But they're never actually going to utilise all that ability sort of thing. You know what I mean? You're wasting. So you just, it's so easy to waste points. And I think yeah. that's the biggest weakness in the army where people just see all these buffs. And I see it on Facebook pages and that all the time. Like, oh, and if this done this, I'm like, how are you going to get 40 Reavers into another unit? Because, you know, the footprint on them is so big. When the math comes out, it sounds awesome, but in realistically, you're going to get five or ten guys in there, you know, and then you've got all these points that have done nothing that's just going to get wrecked, you know. And as I said, I think those two are the biggest things, our lack of speed and the ease it is to buff characters because it just things stack so easily with us. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um and you know what, maybe this is where, and, you know, you probably sh we probably shouldn't be talking about magic and corn, but, you know, maybe this is where um, Chronomatic Cogs comes into play. Um, oh, I'm a big fan. Honestly, if that's the way you're building it, and if I was building a mortal list, again, like for 110 points, you can put a, you know, a wizard in that army, you know, cheap, he's doing well, he's still got a dispel as well, you know, you can sit on an objective, but the ability to be able to do that, if that's the way you want to run, if you want to run a fast-hitting mortal list, I'm a big fan of that sort of stuff. Well, yeah. You know, I know corn doesn't like magic, but I mean, even the even the the gaunt summoner again. We talked about it. puts a free unit on the table as well as you know exactly. it's, it's summoning ability. So it, it essentially pays for itself. Um, and his magic simply... is brutal. Yeah. You know, that's a great. And the beauty of him is too in a corn list because we debuff magic so well. You want to get him away. So maybe a Gaunt yeah. Summoner is a good thing. You can get him away, 
You can give him his own screen and he's not getting debuffed by our shrine and our skulls and all the other stuff that goes with his secretors and all that stuff too. So, but yeah, no, I'm a big fan of magic in corn if it's needed. Yeah, I don't if know. Yeah, look, I don't know how Corn rewards magic plans, I think Corn would be happy. If we got enough skulls out of it, he'd be happy enough. He'd turn right. blind eye. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to add to this discussion? Again, this book is so robust that we could be talking for hours and hours and hours about mortals, demons, wrath, you know, marking things like the, the slaves to darkness and bringing them into Corn. Um we talked a little bit about the Beast of Chaos and marking those guys. And, you know, there's just a lot of stuff you can do with this book. So it's almost like you could play this book for years because you can just keep optimising and, and changing your list and keeping it fresh to the meta. Oh, exactly. And that's the thing. That's the beauty of Corn. There's so many different builds. Like I've honestly got about eight or nine different Corn armies just ranging from everything. I've got about 15,000 points worth of Corn and I could play it all. Like it is, you know, you could play Corn forever. And as you say, change your list every year and have something totally different. Corn is awesome like that. And nothing's wrong. Nothing's weak. Okay. Oh, there we By go. Way, I forgot to wear my hat. Last, <laughs> I when thought we of that when we first started, then I forgot about it. Uh, yeah, I, I should have worn my hat. It's my favourite band. Um, <laughs> cool. So is there any anything you want to shout out, any places that people want to find and talk corn with you? Um, anyone that... Um, I'm pretty it's big on the Blades of Corn page. I'm not a real big computer guy, as you've found out quite painfully over the last couple of days. But, yeah, I'm on Facebook a bit. I'm always happy to talk corn, you know, send me a message, even throw it up there. As I said, I'm always on the Blades of Corn page there, and I'm pretty active there. But, yeah, always happy to talk corn. Uh, awesome, Tyler. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, enjoy your icebreaker for breakfast. Um, I can't wait for the tournament scene to kick back off. Hopefully I see you in the near future. Um, I think corn's got a lot of good legs. I think the way we need to re-look at corn and think about how we handle the new change in the meta. The, the meta has changed so quickly over the last 12 to 15 months with just the pure rate of battle times that come out. In 2019, you know, come out fast start 2020 as well. We've got a whole bunch of stuff. We know Gargots are coming. We know Luminates are coming. We know General's Handbook with new points. Maybe new scenarios are coming. So I think it's a good time to revisit and think about your list differently and think about what it might look like in the new meta and um, how you might respond to Croak, uh, OBR, um, you know, like so many new challenges that are now on the table. And it is truly a scissor paper rock meta right now. Yeah, exactly. And we've got so many options. We've definitely got the tools out there to deal with the new meta. It's just a matter of sitting down and getting it going. And I think once, yeah, once this virus is over and everyone can get in, get in a few tournaments under the belt, seeing what's working, it won't take long for Corn to be back up there again. And the good news is the Games Workshop website is now open in most countries. So you go, go fulfill and go build some new models and go Lovely. prepare. <laughs> Tyler, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much once again. Uh, if you want to talk corn, I know there's a lot of questions we weren't, uh, we couldn't unfortunately capture. I know some questions had around like stacking of blood secretors and you know some different particular battalions. But I would encourage you to go check out the Facebook page for corn. A quick Google search, you'd probably find it in, uh, or just a Facebook search, you'd find it. Go join exactly. It. And so just drop me a PM either. Like happy to call to anyone. Sweet, Tyler. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, again. Hashtag like, subscribe, smash it. Um, uh, join the Discord if you're in, if you want to talk Warhammer with us. Tyler, let's close it out properly. 
Thank you very much once again. Uh, don't forget to roll your triumph. Uh, see you all and in very soon. Thank you very much. See you, folks. See you, folks.